Welcome everyone to episode 125 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm your host, the Glorious League Freak, and wow, what a round of NRL games we've seen so far. Um, the first match with the Melbourne Storm taking on the Sydney Roosters, it was blowout. It was over really quickly. Um, the Roosters have been on a hiding to nothing for most of this year. They've had so many injuries. They've had like three retirements. Um, I can't hold anything against the Roosters. I think that they're so far ahead of where they should be, considering all the obstacles that they've had ahead of them. And, you know, the Storm were just on fire. They won 46 points to nil in that game. And it felt like we were set for another round of blowout scores and nobody really enjoyed that game. Melbourne played great. They did what they had to, but they did it really easy. It was a very soft game of football. Then Friday night, we start off, <clears throat> excuse me, with the match between the New Zealand Warriors and the St. George Illawarra Dragons up there at Gosford. And it was a horrible, messy, stupid game by both teams. But it was really enjoyable because it was very close. It went to Golden Point and eventually Corey Norman, who had missed about 57 conversions, kicked the winning field goal. And it was really cool to see. You could see it like he'd redeemed himself and his teammates all rushed to him. Everyone was really happy. It was cool to see that sort of victory. I felt really sorry for Warriors fans though because it just felt like such a Warriors loss. They had the game... Almost in the bag, they were up by eight points, and towards the end of the match, Chad Townsend, who they got during the week, and I still don't know why, uh, he goes and kicks a, tries to kick field goal. He misses it, and it allows the Dragons to have a seven-tackle set. And basically, it was just all Dragons from that point on. The Warriors didn't really look close to winning the game from that point on, so... That was a really interesting contest, and yeah, a real heartbreaker for the New Zealand Warriors fans. Felt really, really sorry for them. And then we went to Penrith Football Stadium in front of absolutely no one once again, and we saw the Penrith Panthers battling the Parramatta Eels. Really, really interesting game, this one, I thought. The Eels early on looked pretty good. Uh, Mitch Moses' kicking game was a big part of them being able to stay in the contest with the Panthers. And that's going to sound really weird, considering that the Panthers are without their best player. You also have a few players missing as well, but, you know, you take Cleary out of this game. He's probably the best player on both teams. And, you know, the Panthers just kept battling away, battling away. They kept the game close. And it felt like about 60 minutes into the match. And it was interesting because I was uh, DMing with Nadine during this match. And we're, you know, sending messages back and forth about what we're thinking during the game. And I start thinking to myself that the Panthers forwards were just starting to find some cracks in that Parramatta defense around the middle of the ruck. And she sent me a message pretty much immediately saying the same thing. And... I felt from that point on, I was really confident we were going to win. Now, we made it difficult for ourselves. Uh, we missed a field goal eventually. I mean, Burton went for the field goal. He he kicks it and it hits the upright, bounces back. We had Panthers play scrambling out the way because they were going to be offside at the end of this match. It couldn't give away a penalty. That would have been it. And then 
Uh, Burton makes the tackle. So we've got the Eels in their own line. We managed to get the ball back. And I say we, I'm a Panthers fan. You all know that. Penrith manages to get the ball back. They really put the screws on the Eels. And the Eels, you know, when you do that, they don't tend to handle it well. And I'm not saying they're chokers. I'm not saying that they're bad in close games. But it just feels as though when you get into an arm wrestle with the Eels, more times than not, they're going to drop a ball or they're going to, you know, give you field position. They're going to give you something. That happened in this game. And so we saw Penrith get another chance at getting a, a good set in. Burton kicks the field goal. Very confident. You could see he was really happy about that. And then there must have been less than 50 seconds left. The Eels kick off a short kickoff. And the Panthers unbelievably give away a penalty because they were pushing someone off the ball when they were going for the kickoff from the Eels' side. Mitch Moses has a chance about 35 metres out in terms of from the try line. He must have been, what, 10 metres in from the sideline? Pretty kickable. And he misses it. He should have got it. And I felt sorry for him. I felt really sorry for him. Coming into this match, the media's really been pushing his burrow to get into that New South Wales team. Really, really, really pushing it. I don't really understand why. I feel as though Adam Reynolds, you put him straight in. I, I just think he's the next best guy after... Uh, Cleary, but also part of me wants to see how Moses goes in that state of origin arena as well. He played all right in this game, but he was also a little quiet considering that it was a close match. And that's the problem with Moses. He can go missing in games. Um, his best asset is when he's taken on the line and he just didn't really do that in this match. And when he missed that kick, you would see it was a heartbreaker for him, and all of his teammates ran straight over to him. Tough loss for the Eels, and for the Panthers, because they're such a young team, I just think that when you get a chance to have these sort of matches where you grind out a win, it's really a chance to learn what it takes to win close games. So I don't mind seeing the Panthers have these sort of contests. You know, I know a lot of Panthers fans were freaking out over it. And, you know, you don't want it to come down to a missed uh, kick at goal. But I kind of like it for the Panthers over the very long term. I think they'll all be better for these situations. So we've had two really good games here Friday night. Uh, really good stuff. They haven't been textbook. They haven't been clean. They haven't been amazing attacking contests. But close games of footy, there's something to be said about it. And yeah, really enjoyed tonight's games. But I'm going to say that because my team won. Now, I've got to say, in this Panthers game, there were a lot of, in the second half, a lot of six again, again calls. And I think that this six again rule is just bullshit. I really do. I think that it is... I know that, uh, that Jamie put out a tweet today. And she was saying how it's just lazy refereeing. And I agree. I also think what we're seeing is more and more uh, points in a match where it's... And I saw somebody tweeting about this. And I wish I could remember who it was. And I'm sorry. I just can't remember who it was. But 
we're seeing teams get a six again call, and when they immediately make a mistake or something, they, they've made a mistake in their own half the field. Whereas if they got a penalty, they the game stops, they kick for touch, they normally get into a much, much better field position. And so if they make a, a mistake straight off the back of that, you know, kick for touch, it's not as devastating as it is now when you just get a six again call. Um, Penrith made a lot of ground with Api Corusau around the middle of the ruck. He was really targeting the markers and the Panthers must have got at least 24 tackles out of Api Corusau just targeting the markers for the Parramatta Eels. Um, there was one that he got on the Eels trial line, which was just an absolute killer for the Eels. And I just don't like this rule. And I think the more people are seeing it, and the more that they're seeing the knock-on effects that we're having in the game. I mean, you look at that Chad Townsend kick at field goal that he misses for the Warriors. They give up one extra tackle, just one, and it's devastating to the Warriors. But we're calling six again, sometimes two or three times when a team has a ball. So you're getting like 18 tackles, 24 tackles in a row. How do you think that's going to, what do you think that's going to do to a team's ability to defend their line? It's completely devastating and it's deciding games. I don't like it at all. And I think that the NRL needs to just revert back to the 2019 rules because there was nothing wrong with them. Now, it looks as though the National Rugby League and the Australian Rugby League Commission are looking to play State of Origin 3 in Newcastle. Where we're all going to be by the time Origin 3 rolls around in terms of this COVID lockdown in Australia, who knows? But I think, um, you know, I wrote that it would be cool to play State of Origin in Newcastle and it looks like it's the best available venue. We're not going to be able to play in Sydney or Melbourne. Brisbane is even a little bit iffy. And then the idea that we're going to play three straight Origin games in Queensland you know, it opens, I, I can't remember who it was, it might have been Phil Gould said that, you know, he doesn't mind seeing that happen as long as next year we have three Origin games in New South Wales, which will never happen. So I think it'll be cool to play State of Origin in Newcastle. It will be even better if we can do it in front of a sellout crowd in Newcastle, because I think Newcastle will go off. Uh, but who knows where we're going to be this this COVID uh, scare that we're going through in Australia, there's a lot of new cases. It is much lower than we're seeing overseas. But, you know, we've got a different situation here in Australia as well. And, you know, hopefully those numbers drop right off over the next week and a half so we can actually play Origin in Newcastle um, or even better yet, play it in Sydney. But we'll find out. Now, in similar news, similar COVID-related news, the organisers of this year's 2021 Rugby League World Cup put out a statement. And I'm going to read the entire statement because it's pretty short, actually. It says, Statement from the Rugby League World Cup 2021 organisers. Our primary focus remains to deliver the Rugby League World Cup this year as planned and constructive progress has been made this week. We are realistic about the complex challenges we are facing in these unprecedented times, including the international travel arrangements and quarantining of athletes and staff from the Southern Hemisphere. 
in the interests of delivering clarity and certainty to everyone involved in staging the tournament, a final decision will be made as soon as possible. However, we have made it clear that our decision making will not be dictated by deadlines if further consideration is required. So that's really what you say when you're basically saying we're not making a decision right now. Um, I think it would be really devastating if the World Cup was called off at the last minute, which at this stage, it feels like we might be marching towards, unfortunately, but it's hard to, it's hard to know. It's really hard to know. The numbers in the UK for COVID are still really high. And I think the thing that people have to remember is that NRL players have been in a, a, a semi-lockdown state for quite some time. And to ask them to go over to possibly have to quarantine and then play the tournament under lockdown conditions and then quarantine to go back home, it's, it's a big ask. It really is. Now, in saying that, if the Rugby League World Cup does go ahead, I think that every single nation needs to take part in it. And I think any nation that chooses not to take part in it, and they shouldn't be part of the next World Cup. You know, if, if we've decided that this World Cup in 2021 is able to be played, I don't think it should come down to different nations saying, oh, yeah, well, we're not turning up this time around, but we'll turn up when it's convenient for us next time. And that includes Australia. Like if Australia ended up being phased out of international rugby league for four years because as the world champion, it turned down turning up to a world cup. I'd have no problems with that. I think the integrity of the world cup is paramount. I think that, I mean, me personally having a world cup trophy and being a world champion, it's above everything. It's above origin. It's above the NRL premiership. Uh, a lot of the times when I'm thinking about, the greatest players of all time, I think about, well, did they win a World Cup? That's one of the first things I think about because that's when you've played all the best players in the world and you've come out on top. Um, so if we do go ahead with World Cup, even if players themselves pull out of the tournament, I think that every nation needs to send their team. But we will wait and see. It's a really tough situation the World Cup organisers are in. Um, I don't envy them. They're going to lose a lot of money if they do cancel the tournament or postpone it. And my feeling is that, and I've changed my mind on this many different times. I mean, I've said that they should move the World Cup to maybe New Zealand or somewhere like that. You could play it in Australia. At the moment, the way that I feel and, and where we're at with COVID and how long it's taken to get to this point, Part of me feels as though maybe we should just postpone the World Cup until the next cycle. We've had eight years before between World Cups before, and it, it, it hasn't been fun. It's been rotten, but it's not like it was completely devastating. And we can do some things in between then and now to make sure that rugby league at an international level does have a presence. You know, we can have games played in Australia or New Zealand. We can have play games played in England. I mean, in there's nothing stopping England playing Scotland, Wales and Ireland 
as many times as they want. It's very easy for them to set up those games. And uh, yeah, but we'll wait and see on this one. Now, international rugby league related. If you follow me on Twitter a couple of days ago, you will have seen my tweets about Wales versus Penrith. And my argument is that Penrith has produced more elite players in rugby league in its history than Wales has. Now, I tweeted that out and I got mixed reactions. I got a lot of people in Australia that were like, well, yeah, of course I have. And a lot of people from the UK who were like, are you crazy? What are you talking about? And then we went into discussions about what what are we talking about here? Are we talking about the number of international players Wales has produced versus Penrith? Are we talking about the quality of the just very elite players? Are we talking you know are we talking about who has produced players for the longest amount of time, which Wales was involved in the first uh, rugby league international against New Zealand, if you didn't know that. There are a lot of different markers you can go by. I started compiling a list of players that had just debuted for the Penrith Panthers and had gone on to, you know, international honours, had been elite players, had been players of note. It, it's really overwhelming list to put together. There's so many of them. Very difficult. And there's so much, and there was so much uh, writing on what I was posting. I realized I need to turn this into a podcast. And so that podcast is going to be the, the next Wednesday coming up. I'm calling it Welsh Wednesday. Okay. Because I need to put in, I need to get this right. And I've had many people saying that the markers I'm using are wrong in some cases. The way that I did it was that Wales can have all of the Welsh players that were born and raised in Wales, all of the players that were rugby union players that were converted to rugby league. And they can even have all of the Englishmen that decided they were Welsh. They can have all of them. There's basically nothing that I will take away from Wales at any level. They can have it all. I will concede everything to Wales. My marker for the Panthers, I felt like was who who were the players that had their first grade debut at the Penrith Panthers. Now, some players were upset about, uh, some people on Twitter were upset about that. And I can see why. I can see why, because a lot of international players, I mean, you look at Viliami Kikau. He is a Fijian, born in Fiji, raised in Fiji, all of that. But he made his first grade debut for Penrith. Was he developed by the Penrith Panthers? And and that comes back to the question, how do you work out who developed who? And that, it's funny because we've been talking about this in Origin this week. But I need a line I can draw somewhere. And I'm willing to draw it anywhere. If we're going to talk about players that were just born in the Penrith district, I'm willing to go there. It's going to take, it might take longer to put that together because now all of a sudden I'm researching where players were born. And I really don't want to do that, to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm willing to go by any marker. But I, you know, personally, I think that if the Penrith Panthers bring a player into first grade, 
I think it's all right to say that they developed them. Outside of them picking up, and I'm trying to think of, say, a player that they picked up uh, from another club. Like, you think of uh, of uh, Suliali, I think is his name, at the Roosters. Now, he's from Penrith. And he was a, he ended up being a Rabbitohs junior. And he makes his first grade debut for the Roosters. Now, you can't really say that the Roosters developed him. You can't say that the Rabbitohs developed him. But he's a Penrith like he's a Penrith boy. He's he's from uh he's from Cambridge Park. So you know, it's I'm trying to make something simple so that I can say here is a very simple list that is written in a black and white way that you can look at. Um a couple of the players that, that people weren't happy about were the Puller Tours. And they were born in New Zealand. They and they grew up in, in Western Sydney. I actually lived over the back. They lived over the back from my house. Um, and I remember when I was younger, when I'd be out in the backyard, and they're, they're older than I am, obviously, and I'd see these two giant dudes, and I'd be like, man, they're massive. Ended up being the Puller Tours. I didn't know that. And I remember watching the Puller Tours when they played schoolboy football in the uh, old Commonwealth Bank Cup. And then I found out that somebody knew the Puller Tours that I was close to. And it was like, oh, man, they're really good players. And this was still when they were schoolboys. So, you know, where do I draw the line? But at the same time, saying all of this, I am open to anything. I'll concede everything to Wales. And I'm open to any markers, any limits that most people think I should have when I put together this list. It's Penrith versus the nation of Wales. Who produces the most elite talent? Another interesting thing that I put on Twitter, and it was kind of um, related to the discussion a little bit, I guess. I asked my Twitter followers, "Do can they name any English player ever? who was universally believed to be a better player than Brad Fittler. And I found all of the names that were put forward very interesting. There were some older names. And I think when it, there were some legends of the game that were named. Um, and I find it's hard to line them up because I feel as though Brad Fittler is... If you think of the very, very, very elite players, I think Brad Fittler is just behind those players. So, for instance, somebody like a Clive Churchill. Brad Fittler wasn't better than Clive Churchill. You know, I wouldn't put Brad Fittler in the same class as a Clive Churchill. But he is like half a step back from that sort of level. And when you're talking about elite players, you it sometimes sounds like you're hating on elite players. And you're not. You're trying to find the tiniest little differences between players that, in most cases, won everything. In most cases, were the best players in every single team they played in. In most cases, were international stars, were club stars, could change the fortunes of an entire club, who eras of rugby league could be spoken about with their name. In the headline, 
And so it sounds like sometimes that you're, you're hating on players and you're not really. You're just trying to find who, who you believe is better than other players. One of the things I found interesting was how many players, uh, how many people on Twitter said they believed Ellery Hanley was a better player than Brad Fittler. Now, I don't believe that. I think Brad Fittler was a better player than Ellery Hanley. Um, but it was interesting seeing the markers that people were using to say who was a better player than Brad Fittler in terms of the English players. Uh, some people were bringing up Ellery Hanley's club record in the UK, which I found very interesting. Uh, I had people bringing up his club record in Australia, which is interesting because he didn't play that many club games in his first stint in Australia when he was at his prime. He come back and he played for the the Tigers again later in his career, but it was uh you know it was the very end of his career and he's still a very handy player at that point. But he was in a not very good team and he just wasn't the same player he used to be. So you know I'm not going to rate Ellery Handley on that. But it was very interesting. Had somebody saying that um, Martin Offia should have been the would as a better player than Brad Fittler because the point of rugby league is to score tries, and Martin Offia scored so many tries in his career, which I thought was an interesting way to look at it. And it made me think about how people rate different players and what they see as achievements. Um, I personally, and I, I said this just before in the podcast, first thing I think is, well, did they win World Cups? But is that the wrong thing to do? You know, because just because you don't win a World Cup doesn't mean you're not a great player. If Benji Marshall hadn't won a World Cup, and he did, but if Benji Marshall hadn't won a World Cup, it wouldn't make him any less of a player. So, you know, it, it, it's a... It's going to be an interesting one. It's going to be a really interesting episode. I'm hoping that Andrew can step in and, and come into the conversation. He's very busy at the moment, but I'm hoping he can come into the conversation because then we'll be able to add a layer of statistics to it all, which will be good fun, as opposed to it just being my uh, personal belief. What I'm aiming for in this episode is to name my all-time Welsh team I will name my all-time Penrith team, which I kind of threw one together on Twitter the other night, but it was very much throwing it together while I was doing research for it all. So I wasn't really happy about it all. I actually named Anthony Schwerb as uh, 17th man in that side, wondering if anyone would cotton onto it. No one did. Um, but anyway, so we'll see what happens. And I know I'm going to upset people when I put the episode out, but... You know, it's better than saying nothing and no one caring anyway. So we'll see what happens with that. On a different note, and going back to the games that we've seen uh, the last couple of days in the NRL, the broadcasters are pumping in fake crowd noise. And it's ridiculous because there's literally no one at these games. Like It's not like we're playing in front of smaller capacity uh, crowds. There's no one there. And so you're watching these games with completely empty stands and they've got this white noise for crowds in the background. And it was funny because in the game between the Storm and the Roosters, 
whoever was in charge of the crowd noise for Channel 9, they seemed to be putting it up higher whenever the Roosters did anything, and it was only early on in the match. But I found it very interesting because the Storm would do something pretty incredible, and it wouldn't get much of a reaction from the fake crowd. And then the the Roosters would do something okay, and the fake crowd would be made to go off. It was very interesting to see all that. But I don't know why they do the fake crowd noise. I think it's a bit silly. I think down the track there'll be studies about why broadcasters felt the need to put in crowd noise. You've got to remember, broadcasters are weird. I, I personally think the fake noise is put in so that we don't hear the players swearing at each other. That's what I believe it is. But broadcasters are weird. I mean, they get excited about different things like camera angles. They'll get really excited about a new camera. Who the fuck has ever cared about a new camera? Just show me the game. I don't care about your camera. I don't care about the focal point. I don't care about the lenses. I don't care how it moves. Just show me the fucking game. I don't care about any of the other stuff. The other thing you see broadcasters get really, really excited by that nobody on planet Earth cares about are sets. They'll be like, we got this new set. There was uh, ESPN. They had like a, a ridiculous $100 million set they were talking about that they brought in with massive TVs and it had like staircases and all of this stuff. And no one cares. And if there's one thing that COVID has taught us, it's that you can host a show with like books in the background and sitting at a desk doing it on a webcam and no one cares any less than they do if you're sitting in this massive Starship Enterprise looking set. Broadcasters are weird like that. I don't get it. The other weird thing for me is that they, they, you'll get somebody that's a professional broadcaster that's broadcasting from their home and they don't sort out their sound quality. Like when me and, uh, what was that? What's that guy's name I used to do the podcast with? Andrew, that was it. When me and Andrew used to do the podcast all those years ago, um, when we first decided to do it, the first thing we said is we need to get our sound quality dialed in really quickly. And if you listen to the first few episodes, you can hear us improving really drastically uh, to a certain point. And now, like, I went out really quickly and I got myself a pretty expensive microphone. Uh, Andrew already had the microphone. I think he still uses the same one today. But it's a good microphone. It's a really good microphone. I had the same one for quite some time, but my one broke, unfortunately. Um but yeah, it's weird to see a professional broadcaster who weren't sort out their sound quality. You'd think that they would. Anyway, so it's another little bit of a short episode. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't bring you an episode yesterday. I had someone, I think it was, it might have been Ron, who wanted to have a podcast for his driving that he was doing on Friday. And I, I was going to try and get one out, but unfortunately... Things didn't work out for me. Let me see if I can find who it was. This is riveting to listen to. Uh, I can't find it. I cannot find it. Uh, yeah, I can't find it. Anyway, I... Um, yes, it was. It was Rontastic. There you go. So, sorry, Ron. I, I'm sorry I couldn't get you the podcast out in time. 
I will endeavor to do better next time. The next podcast will be out probably on Sunday. I would suggest Sunday evening. Um, the numbers are great. Numbers are going fantastic, which is awesome. All of your support is fantastic. Couple of websites to talk about. First one, I've done some work on nrlbreakingnews.com. Check it out. It's got a lot of news feeds that have been added to it. The design is different. It's easier to navigate. You can see what's going on in rugby league at a glance, and that's what I was aiming for. Just something to throw in your website rotation. Go there, see all the latest headlines. And if you want to read on, you can click on the links and go straight to those articles. Um, But yeah, it's something that's almost a a rugby league tool in your arsenal, basically. Sounded a bit weird. Uh, Obviously, go to furgoandthefreak.com, which is the website of this podcast. You can get in contact with us. You can listen to all of our guests. You can listen to all of our history episodes. It's a really good resource if you're looking for something to listen to, especially if you're a new listener and you're looking for something in the past. It's probably easier to look for it on the website. So furgoandthefreak.com. Check out nrlrumors.com. That's part of my website, which is leaguefreak.com. Posting lots of new articles there. Uh, Post the podcast there. Every so often, I'll post my thoughts and opinions, and there's some things on there I'm sure you'll enjoy a lot of. Uh, check out the lookalikes, check out the quotes, all sorts of little things on leaguefreak.com that I'll sure you enjoy. Also, if you want to contribute to the podcast or to my websites, go to patreon.com forward slash leaguefreak. There's no space between league and freak. It's just leaguefreak. Um you can start from as little as $1 a month. That's nothing. That's like 25 cents a week. How about that? For all the podcasts I put out for you lot, it's easy. It's easy. We had Carson Brummer join us this week. So thank you so much, Carson. Uh, we got to get Carson back on the podcast and actually put together a, a podcast with him that we can put out into the ether because our podcast that we could not do that with, I still think it is the funniest podcast we ever did by a long, long way. So check out patreon.com forward slash league freak. Anyway, that's the end of this podcast. I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. If anything new pops up, I'll jump on or record. But until then, I will see you later.